Iluvatar, Eru Iluvatar drove a Ford F-350 with truck nuts and then formed a side project, and that's how we got the word. This is canon, okay? It's in his notes. You don't oh, read Tolkien's that. Tolkien's notes? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just gibberish at the bottom of a page somewhere, and that makes it relevant. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's actually... Oh, God, I got fucking dragged on some Reddit... Like on like the Lord of the Rings subreddit one because I posted something and I was like, this is a stupid way to understand. Motherfuckers went crazy. Like I had got like fifty. I have never had comments that upvoted as many downvotes as I got for being like, eh, maybe <laughs> this is dumb. People were crazy about. I have a Lord of the Rings tattoo and I think people are crazy about this shit. <laughs> <clears throat> the no, Silmarillion kind of seems like the Ben Carson version of Lord of the Rings mythos. <laughs> Well, you see, the Joseph he stored the grain in the pyramid. Say, <laughs> we all know that uh, Turin Trambar was actually hiding out, uh, you know, to hold some grain. This is why he had to bang his sister. That's where they keep the grain in your sister. Um. Ben Carson is uh, like. He, he appears to me like someone that you would see in a movie and you wouldn't believe that they cast er, and wrote this character. You're just like, he's just mumbling into microphones with his hands slowly rising beside his face like Ricky Bobby. And he's just like, it, it, it is just a caricature that I'm just unsure how it made its way into reality but i think more than anything it just proves to me that uh reality is false and uh we're all living in a turtle's dream actually we're on the air more because he's like the type of neurosurgeon who has been taking his own anesthetic for years (laughs) and that's why he sounds chopping every every single speech he gives yeah, Wait, he's perpetually what if, asleep, and so I don't know how they elected just an asleep guy, but what platform he ran on was just him snoring. So Okay, so I, I actually have a theory. Ben Carson is like a, a 2014, like, L.A. woman that is too skinny and, like, ethnic but still white rapper that is leaned out all the time. He's like a, a, a Lil Debbie, you know, <laughs> except he's somehow a neurosurgeon old black guy. <laughs> and also the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, which is quite a pivot there. Yeah, we, I mean, we'll it's not that much later, of a pivot. But... I could see Lil Wayne being in charge of, like, several public housing developments. Like, <laughs> no, no, I'm, in, be I'm crazy. In the neurosurgeon being in charge of housing and urban development. Lil Wayne makes more sense. <laughs> no, wait. Wait, but Lil Wayne could only be the head of a federal agency if he could make some very stupid pun out of the name of it. <laughs> yeah, boys well, in the hood. Oh, I was just going to say <laughs> HUD, HUD's up, but... Many months has come and gone since I wandered from my home In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Many a page of life has turned, many a lesson I have learned Well, I feel like in those hills I still belong Way down yonder in the Indian nation Ride my pony on the reservation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Now way down yonder in the Indian nation The cowboy's life is my occupation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born I'm Adam Burnett, and this 
Red Star over Oklahoma of Parker Nelson, Stephen Lastman, and Cole Roberts. And this is Red Star over Oklahoma. We are a small political po- political and news podcast broadcasting about left Oklahoma. How you doing this week, boys? Doing We're good. Doing good. Uh, just uh, podcasting from my three-hour Easter mass. I'm in the confessional <laughs> right now. Um Confessing the sins of communism. <laughs> well, that's good because uh, you have assuredly sinned. Uh, but we're going to jump right into the, the topics of the day. And um, I mean, I really need to get a spinny wheel or like <laughs> somehow record that noise or find it on the Internet because I need to go... <laughs> as we decide which uh, Trump insider has been kicked out to the street. <laughs> we, we have the bingo sheet. We don't need... We're, we're really close to a bingo also, I think. I can't remember who exactly oh. it is. Trump himself no. was, was was definitely one that would cause many a bingo. But I think, I still, I think the real bingo is when he finally fires Mueller and the uh, country's heads just that's explode That's the free space in the middle. That is the free space in the <laughs> yes. middle. Uh, I don't know. I still, I think the free space in the middle is when he fires himself. You know, and he's like, "Fuck, fuck! I got offered to be galactic president. I'm gonna go." Folks, the things I've said to myself—very rude, very cruel things. I can't work with someone like that. Uh, Have you seen? Have you seen these tweets? They're just unbelievable. Folks, Baron, he's convinced me. He should be in charge. I'm done. I'm out. Well, so this week on the the, the great wheel of getting kicked out of the White House, uh, it, it the, is a wheel re- of fortune. Let's let's call it what it is. <laughs> I don't know if we can call it in all good faith a wheel of fortune, because while there are definitely people making money in here, I I don't feel that it's a good thing to be a part of the Trump administration. I feel well, like. That's- <laughs> the Scaramucci did more to hurt himself. <laughs> and maybe Bannon. <laughs> maybe. But maybe. Th- but yeah. This week, our uh, Trump insider thrown out onto the street is David Shulkin, uh, the head of the Veterans Affairs. Uh, yeah, Veterans Affairs. The head of the VA. And um, this is... You know, I mean, we all remember from the Obama administration the uh, issues around that were surrounding the VA then, um, notably that they really weren't doing their jobs or providing health care to anyone or uh, they, they don't have computers. That that seems to be an issue. <laughs> well, that and one of the. Other issues that I mean, I mean that they uh, had always run into um, was that the waiting lines were so bad, and this is one of the things that you know every capitalist in the world wants to throw at um, communists and socialists is, oh, uh, we'll have death panels, and it'll take you eight years to reach a doctor, <laughs> and like just notably, it's all already does that. <laughs> It, uh, if you want to get basic medicine, it's a billion dollars. And if you want to go to the hospital, it's a 35-hour wait. So um, <laughs> that is uh, on one side. On the other side of this, though, 
the person that they are putting in charge of the VA, and I don't actually have their name in front of me, uh, but I wanted to talk about an article that uh, David Shulkin wrote um, for the New York Times, and it's an op-ed piece uh, entitled privatizing the VA will hurt veterans. And I mean, as leftists and, you know, communists, we, we can understand that privatizing healthcare is just something that like, doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, especially since, you know, we have a human right to be alive. And, um, this seems, you know, you know, privatized healthcare is always a problem. And it just always kind of I think I think the biggest thing for me is that whenever I hear privatized healthcare, I always think of waste um, in that like it just encourages waste because the more they can waste, the more money they can bill. Yeah, but I mean, like yeah. upselling to the most expensive procedure is common for a lot of hospitals that if you've got, you know, fancy insurance, they'll always do unnecessary medical procedures because they can leach the most money out of you as possible. Well, and they well, also have to recoup. They have to recoup costs because they can't deny services to people, mm-hmm. and so then you know people go have to get expensive services because they can't get preventative care, and then the hospital like has to then not only because the hospital might be trying to make a profit, but also because the hospital needs to recoup some expenses. It's just like it's, on both sides. It's absolutely pushing. not that they're trying to make a profit. Most hospitals even run <clears throat> at a def- like deficits, right? So yeah, they're just trying to stay and, open. A lot of them. And yeah, no, they they run. Most major hospitals run at like multi million dollar deficits, and it's when those claims like in payments clear that they just get that opening in the red that they can then jump back down to the bottom, basically, and they they, they clear up space on their credit card and then continually try to max it out yeah and i mean i I always think of um insurance companies and the pharmaceutical and hospital industry as well in this sense in that you know you know your insurance will cover your pill but the insurance company or the pharmaceutical company is able to bill the insurance company you know four grand per pill and then they're able to shift that over. It's just all this fake money moving around to incentivize, quote unquote, a profit. But basically, I mean, you know, you think of something like the VA um, as not private. But also, I think of it a lot in this sense of being a more conservative institution. And so for Shulkin to come out and kind of stand against privatization in the like basically what this article what he is saying is and and he has this pretty good line here at the end um as i prepare to leave government i am struck by a recurring thought it should not be this hard to serve your country and like i thought that this was a really good idea because basically he's arguing for socialism of veterans affairs um hospitals um based on the fact that it would actually be more efficient and work better and that private privatizing them only injects a profit motive when there's no reason for a profit motive in these areas and i was like reading this and i was like man you don't realize if you changed a couple of your buzzwords in here <laughs> you'd be uh not in the new york times but you'd be on a jacobin article but adam i thought that the markets always make the most efficient uh you know decisions do, and yeah <laughs> 
they do. I'm not arguing against that. I'm just telling him that this dirty red commie bastard. I'm glad <laughs> Trump got him out. He's cleaning house. Clap, clap, clap. Out yeah, how here. did this? How did this slip through the New York Times opinion page? Yeah, there should have been somebody on that being like, <laughs> those, those lazy veterans should have to work for their health care. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I mean, yeah, this is just, I mean, it, it, it is a pretty, I mean, the, the, the article itself is very short. Um, and, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of it is just that, you know, veterans, due to the fact that they come back from combat situations with, a little bit of money and a lot of injuries, they have pretty big issues. And I mean, he talks about the fact that there is unemployment is the highest it has been um, for veterans in a long time and that um, they are less covered by health insurance. Um, and it's, it's just kind of funny to me, though, that he has this kind of espousing of you know, socializing medicine, which is what he is talking about doing. Um, and, you know, he, he basically I'm going to I'm going to read part of a paragraph here because it is really interesting because he he's making an argument that we all make that we've all made. We've made it to strangers at parties, to girlfriends who didn't want to listen to us anymore. We've made it to uh, just, you know, all kinds of people. But I want to read. This I part. regularly do it during sex. Uh, The private sector already struggling to provide adequate access to care in many communities, which like already, in my opinion, is a pretty (laughs) for the New York Times for someone in the the, like, like who just got fired from the White House. That's a pretty bold statement. Yeah. Um, The private sector is ill prepared to handle the number and complexity of patients that would come from closing or downsizing VA hospitals and clinics, particularly when it involves the mental health needs of people scarred by the horrors of war. Working with community providers to be to adequately ensure that veterans needs are met is good practice. But privatization leading to the dismantling of the department's extensive health care system is a terrible idea. The department's understanding of service-related health problems, its groundbreaking research, and its special ability to work with military veterans cannot be easily replicated in the private sector. But, like, this is beautiful. True of all health care. <laughs> because, yeah, exactly. It's true of all all healthcare like and like that's why i'm saying like you could change a couple like like literally if you change this article from saying that privatization is bad to saying that socializing is good this is a jacobin article and not a new york times article well there's also been like i think people have very since the sanders campaign certainly but even a little bit before that there people have been coming around to the idea that our healthcare system now doesn't work and that it should be a lot more people are coming around the idea that it should be uh, that it shouldn't be a privatized industry, and I think that the veterans' case is like an even easier one to make because almost everyone in the country is like, yes, our veterans are treated terribly. We need to fix this. It's almost a, like an accelerationist end. It's just gotten so horrific that the only option left seems to be uh, nationalizing VA care. Yeah. Uh, and I think, but yeah, it is like the end point of accelerationism is look at how bad this is. What other alternatives are there except for making this a public good? <clears throat> yeah, when it's also, yep. Yeah, oh, ahead. I think that this art, that this uh, paragraph that I just read is like a really great like exercise in praxis because like basically what he's saying is that like these structures already exist. 
They already do research. There are already people with institutional knowledge that are able to help these people, which can be said of specific cancer patients. It can be said of COPD patients. It can be said of the elderly. It can be said of anyone with a brain dis- with a TBI. I mean, you know, anything in medicine that can be said for. And so, like, I, I really think this is good because, I mean, you know, this uh, this little paragraph, you could just pull out words and replace them with synonyms and you're looking at a very different mean i mean not a different meaning but a different expression of how wide this problem really is and i think it's telling too and this is something i I talked to you guys about earlier but i think it's telling too um that we you know uh convince the people to join the military and overwhelmingly poor people and you know overwhelmingly marginalized communities are marketed to and we tell them to join we send them off to terrible situations in wars in countries they don't understand tell them to make advanced decisions with guns in their hands as workers beat the crap out of them work them terrible pay them shit and then no insurance on the backside no you have you come home and too bad figure your own life out and like it's just you know like capitalism has gone so far i mean that's not how militaries anywhere ever have historically ever worked and people always want to say oh well capitalism is you know historical that's why it's the best and it's like that's not how anything has worked ever rome took care of its soldiers france takes care of its soldiers england takes care of its soldiers china takes care of its soldiers fuck russia takes care of its soldiers fuck the kurds take care of their soldiers Well, and it's one of the, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I, 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 the show is a particularly big fan of the military as an institution, but of course is like a fan of nationalism. Yay. I think that we but, all agree that a lot of like the, you know, your average enlistee or, you know, ground soldier infantry person is not an appendage of the military industrial complex. I think they are a victim of it just as much as the people we're well, fighting are. And they're also a victim uh, of the general ravages of American capitalism because that is such a huge pull factor in joining the military. It's literally the only way to get your college for free in the U.S. Like yeah. it, it, it's upward it, means it, of was, class stratification, or at the very least, even like some pseudo attempt at it. You know. Uh, shout it's, out it's, to it's, shout out to Street Fight, who frequently has call-in shows where they talk about military recruitment stories. Um, have people come in and talk <laughs> about how the in high school military recruiters would take them out to to Arby's and you're like, ah, oh, military's great. You should join Buy him, buy him a McDouble or something. <laughs> I actually, uh, I got a call once. I think it was from the Marines in high school. Cause it took the ass fab. And I, I, I got like pretty, you know, I got, it's a standardized test. I got good grades. On did it they, did like, they tell you you're like one of the smartest people who's ever taken it? No, the guy was just like, Hey, you don't really want to join the military, do you? And I was like, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> like you do. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, oh, did you bomb the I exam? Mean, That's what I was thinking, is that you just literally got everything fucking wrong. And he's like, oh, you're a fucking dumbass. Get out of here. I was li- I was like in it's not actually that hard. It was like it's like comparable to like Oklahoma EOIs or something. Um uh, on everything except for the like shop so you just but, breathe on it and it's done yeah um but it's one of the i mean we all know we all have gone to college we we've all seen the recruitment tables for joining oh yeah because like you get in you're in high school and and if there's one thing working people want it is 
money, it, like it, it is not money. Rather, it's like a wage that they know they're going to get for a long time. It, it's it's retirement. It's healthcare. It's it's security. Stability. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's stability, and the military offers really serious stability and does a good job of doing that. I was reading some some papers uh, for for a paper I was writing, and, and somebody described the kind of like neoliberal form of American capitalism as military Keynesianism, right? Because you get all the kind of social benefits from welfare states by joining the military that are just given to people freely in other countries, you know? Service means citizenship. <laughs> yeah, it literally is like this fucking Heinlein <laughs> Starship Troopers stuff we have going on. Yeah, and I think, I, you know, to end on this one, but I, I think that, that that was, I mean, you know, so much of it, too, is that these are a targeted population that is targeted because of its low political clout. And I think that, you know, I don't have as much uh, knowledge of it now, but I mean, I know in Vietnam, I mean, you know, when you look at the amount of, of combat veterans who were black compared to combat veterans and, and poor compared to uh, veterans who were middle class Middle-class veterans didn't see the battlefield half as much as poor and marginalized communities. And so, like, Well, me, actually, to, to say something on that, like, what they did in Vietnam was shift from drafting the poor people and getting them killed to saying, going from that stick of drafting to the carrot of, you get, like, basic human rights if you join the military. Yeah. And poor exactly. people, you don't get it otherwise. Also, if you're just, like, reasonably middle class, they're like, oh, well, you can go to officer school. Yeah. And yeah. you just get immediately, like, you know, some training and bumped up to an officer position and never have to see combat. Yeah, and I think that that, that is, you know, basically my critique here is that, you know, we take these communities that are already fairly ravaged. <laughs> And uh, we ravage them further by making them fight in the desert, and then we don't help them out at all. <laughs> but anyway, to move on to talking about more stuff that is depressing. Yeah, another, another uh, government institution rapidly being dismantled in the Trump administration, housing and urban development. Um, and, you know, good old sleepy Ben Carson, um, just between 18 hours of taken some anesthetic naps, has decided to scale back the Fair Housing Enforcement, which was created under Obama, which is really kind of one of the first major like pushes in our public housing to start doing inclusive, uh, non-discriminatory and like, <clears throat> um, yeah, non-discriminatory housing. Um, a lot of people may or may not know that housing in the United States has a long history steeped in racism. Um, no way. Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> um, and I think like a lot of Obama programs, this was kind of like a half measure, um, but was a push in the right direction to really start uh, opening up housing, more housing options for a lot of minority communities that have been denied housing that have you know several generations of housing discrimination affecting them and just recently Ben Carson has and the current HUD administration has rolled that program back um, 
taking $28 billion that was going towards disaster recovery for a lot of the hurricanes that have happened in Houston and Puerto Rico away, um, removing those community development block grants. He's just um, throwing more paper towels. Instead. <laughs> like, what? They, they need more than the fucking paper towels I gave them? Jesus. Well, Ben Carson is actually just sitting there and he's like, you know, the paper towel is an effective way to store brain as a pillow. And <laughs> When you try to stab your mom with a knife over a belt buckle, you become the president of house. <laughs> well, uh, I, didn't, I didn't realize we had Dr. Ben Carson on today. I, uh, Dr. Carson. Thank you for joining I, us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining us so much. It's, it's wonderful. Um, could you explain to me what you had for breakfast this morning? Well, I like to think of breakfast as a meal that is when it's like when you cut open a brain but then it's the heart of the day because you have to start somewhere so you I'm just got not far off from like, <laughs> feet. I'm, I'm upset because this is the best impression you've ever done and i'm just now learning about it it's not you just sound weird and just you literally just say the words that show up in your brain. You don't, it's hard. It turns it's out you can just put words in any order you want. Oh, oh my god. Alright. Um, so yeah, the, the, the whole fair housing um, decision under Obama was, you know, meant to make sure a lot of these communities were housed in um, a lot of urban areas where it was incredibly difficult for them to get housing, even... Uh, those who had already applied for public housing or were granted public housing still had hundreds of hoops they had to jump through and it was incredibly easy to have your public housing taken away for even minor violations um, which under Obama they tried to remedy some of that tried to make it more accessible tried to loosen the requirements for getting public housing as well as staying in public housing uh, really just making it so that you don't have to spend 15 hours of your week just trying to make sure that you still meet the requirements to stay in your government home uh, which is one of the biggest problems with public housing is that like how difficult it is to stay there, how a lot of times you like can't get a job or you can't get a raise because as soon as they see that you've got X income, you're kicked out. So a lot of times it's like better to not get employed or a lot of times it's better to like not get that promotion or not get some extra income because that would be the tipping point for getting kicked out of your housing. And so the Obama administration tried to mitigate some of that, which they're now trying to roll back. Um, additionally, You're not we're, poor anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Get so, out of the poor house. It like also, left a lot of people. Can't afford rent. <laughs> yeah, it left a lot of people turning down raises because they would stop qualifying for their housing and be worse off despite making a raise or making more money. Um, and where where rolling these protections back is really going to hit the hardest first is going to be in a lot of the hurricane affected areas because. As I think we saw in Katrina and also in these recent hurricanes, the people who get most affected by natural disasters are poor communities, particularly communities of color, because they are always left to build in the low-lying floodplains that get quickly destroyed by flooding. So by rolling back a lot of these uh, protections, a lot of these uh, ordinances to increase public housing for poor areas, uh, people of color, um, they're saying essentially a lot of these housing projects that were torn down or like ripped apart by the hurricanes aren't going to be rebuilt um, or they're not going to get the funding that they initially had. Um, another thing oh, that oh, is so, so they're going to they're going to take all of the uh, the the people who are living in those shelters and uh, 
put them in the rich people's homes. Well, that's wonderful. That's a really great move by Dr. Ben Carson. Wow, I'm, 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 I'm actually changing my opinion of him. That's, a, that's an amazing... Oh, oh, you mean they're just going to throw them onto the street with their children and hope that they don't die? Oh, wait, they are hoping that they do die? Oh, well, I guess... What I see happening is them giving bit. the uh, common conservative refrain of, why don't you just move, right? Just move somewhere else. <laughs> Like oh my god, can we not have a rehash of the uh, um, uh, Slumlords uh, story that we did in, like, January about Tulsa? Oh because god. I mean, that... everyone, everyone loves Steinbeck, all those people. They didn't like where they were living. Just move somewhere else. Um, Listen, but you too can that... die of starvation in a barn breastfeeding your newborn child, okay? This is storm's cool. This it's, innovative, is... it's innovative weather in the in the high plains. Um so a lot a lot of the housing that was going to be rebuilt in the hurricane from the hurricane damage is not going to or will re- be rebuilt at a like seriously slashed budget. But another program that's going to be completely eliminated by this is a new kind of I mean, for American housing, radical policy in California that they were starting to start housing uh, people who had committed low-level crimes after they get out of prison because it's incredibly difficult to get your life back on track after leaving prison with the uh, $17 they give you out the door. Um, And this was a a program to try and house low-level offenders, um, give them a fast track to public housing uh, because believe it or not, rehabilitation, or a lot of these people don't, like, they're not repeat offenders when they have somewhere to live and have some st- financial stability after getting out of prison. You um, that crime you mean is people, related wait, wait. to... To your like, living condition. Living condition. Yeah, yeah. What the <laughs> what? fuck? I don't know. Fake news. People Fake are news. born criminals, Stephen. People are born criminals. No, all these people that are in jail, you know, they're not they're not committing crimes just for funsies. It's kind of because they, they need to to survive. And so when you give them some of the things they need to survive, what do you know? They're not as inclined to commit crimes anymore. I don't believe any of this. Liberal um, propaganda is what yeah. I say. But yeah, this, this radical program of you know, giving recently released inmates things, um, they, they had to put a stop to that, of course. So they're making sure that that doesn't happen because, as you know, <laughs> the best way to rehabilitate criminals is to give them nothing and then say, no, don't do it again. Think of the private prison profits, okay? Come on. <laughs> Who's going to think of those poor, poor investors that would lose money if we didn't have our prisons filled with people of color? Yeah, that's already that's already public housing. You got a nice warm cell and... Three hots and a cot, baby. <laughs> uh, well, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're just essentially dismantling any forward progress made by the Obama administration. Uh, we already have such just terrible public housing in this country, and... You know, why wouldn't we just make it worse? <laughs> the ne- by the end of the administration, there's going to be one public housing apartment in the country, and everyone has to fight for it. It's going to be a... Um, it's going to be owned by Trump. No, it's I was going to say, a- it's mm-hmm. just going to be a Trump Tower. Yeah, it's just going to have his name on the side. No, it's going to be like... There's going to be one public housing oh, complex in, like, Cheyenne, Wyoming, and it's going to be a nationwide race. The first person to get there gets to live there. <laughs> For one year, and then <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that you know getting uh, 
you know, rambling neurosurgeon to lead an urban housing program, which he has no experience doing, is about as stupid as an idea as uh, making the White House doctor the new. Uh, what what did, what did he make him? What, what's his position now? Trump's doctor uh, is now director like director of Veterans Affairs. Oh yeah, yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> director of the VA. Yeah, I don't, I don't so, know his name, but. Trump's doctor. He just went to his like pediatrician. Was like, bro, you want to run? It was the, it's the White House doctor. <laughs> yeah. It's the same Trump one has that a did. Pediatrician. Yeah. <laughs> also, Trump's, yes, Trump has a pediatrician. I like, anyway. I like this guy. He's a good guy. I get to sit on the fire truck. I get a lollipop if I'm good and don't squirm the whole time. I'm <laughs> giving him a charge of veterans nice affairs. <laughs> but I got yeah. my photo on the wall. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah, this is just continued like dismantling of any idea of any sort of public program that the GOP wants to do. They, they just want to make sure that you don't have any access to things. There's uh, nothing that the government can give you. I think, well, what do you I need think, though, help from the government for Lassie? I just don't <laughs> understand. I really, I really like though that Ben Carson has this position in a way because it like, makes it extremely like number one it's like the most racist fucking thing ever because the only yes, reason no, ben carson heads hud is because donald trump was like oh that's where black people live they've never owned homes well or Trump, Trump's anywhere but in public housing tenure as a just <laughs> he knows public housing very well yeah has been to make sure that he takes away housing from the most people that he can but yet I think the other thing it's really good for, too, though, aside from, like, the obvious thing, is it's just, like, this whole thing that was such a big deal in 2016 and still remains a thing where it's like, oh, you know, representation matters, right? It's like, no, also your politics matter. Because yes. the fact that a black guy is heading HUD doesn't mean jack shit for people right now. No, absolutely it's not. Given all the anesthesia he can, he can use, <laughs> and he's fine with just about, I don't know how much anesthesia it takes to, like, plug up that hole inside of you, you know, <laughs> or like stop the aneurysms from happening by agreeing with Trump's politics, but it, he's getting enough, clearly. Yeah, you I listen mean, they, to the dollop, they... you know that you can do anything with Ether, buddy. You know. Oh, I mean, yeah, he <laughs> I just like to imagine Ben Carson now has his tie constantly soaking in Ether and puts it on every morning, just takes a big whiff before he has to talk to a camera. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that image. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the essentially, public housing is. We really need to like have like there's there's very little dialogue around public housing in the United States, and we really need to make sure this needs to be something that we consider more because one of the biggest problems, especially in urban areas, is of course housing costs. But uh, builders and developers they don't build affordable housing because it just doesn't make money. What happens is. Um, Construction and land costs are so high in dense urban areas, which are where you need to live if you are a poor person because you don't have a car and you can't commute an hour like everyone in the suburbs. Um, but like living in these dense urban areas, it's so expensive to build there that the only thing that people want to build are luxury housing units that they can't even fill because there's not enough demand for luxury housing, but it's the only profit-generating uh, form of housing since we don't subsidize any type of housing <laughs> Or any sounds, like development sounds like that. a rent problem everywhere. I don't yes, know. Yes, yeah. We we're well, so it's also, just big fans of rent in this country. Well, right. there was it's, like it's, back in the uh, back in the sixties and seventies, there or you know 50s, 60s, 70s, you had the white flight, 
where you had these urban areas that all the, the white people town. were... The town. Exactly, yes. They all left to the suburbs. They wanted to be away from the scary colored people. Um, and that was not great for those communities, but that meant that those, like, the poor and colored communities were still in the urban, like, the dense urban area. They could still walk, take transit, had access to all the jobs. But what's happening now with gentrification and all of these uh, wealthier people moving back into the cities is going to be even worse for those communities because they will be forced out to the fringes of the city, which means they will have to now buy a car, which means they'll now have to commute an hour or even two hours to work. Um, and, well, and this is this is like already happening because that's a thing yeah. in Ferguson, Missouri specifically. Absolutely. Ferguson, Missouri. Ferguson's a perfect example. And, 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 and so like, like this kind of problem with housing in Ferguson was a thing where white flight created suburbs then gentrification forced people of color out of the core of st louis and people of color moved to places like ferguson right mm -hmm. and the city cannot make any money except through serious strict policing and so the failure of housing to deal with the fact that poor people need to live in a situation where they can utilize the benefits of public transportation and the benefits that just come with living in a dense place resulted in the kind of policing that killed michael brown yeah, well, and then in the second half of the 20th century, when you had all these communities living in the city, it was really hard to deny them, like, all the basic services because they're in the downtown areas, because they're in the urban core. And you can't just say, oh, well, we're cutting transit, we're cutting utilities, all that stuff. But it is really easy to start slowly, like, narrowing that circle of services to the downtown core and cut off the suburbs, which, of course, they wouldn't do formally because all of the, like, middle-class white people lived in the suburbs. But as you get these people who can't afford to live in the city being forced out to the burbs, they can say, oh, well, these are very low-income people. They don't generate a lot of tax revenue and are an incredibly uh, negligible voting block. So we can, you know start denying them transit we can start denying them like taking care of their roads even utilities um like just improving basic infrastructure around there won't happen anymore they'll, they'll and, just and, kind of be left to fend for themselves in these giant tract housing slums and you also get the situation where we're like a place that has a, a city government that was developed because of white flight like say um, I, I think Sperry is the community on the north side of Tulsa, the first one that has like an actual government, because I think Turley's unincorporated. But you have a situation, which is the exact same thing in Ferguson, where you have a city government that was based on rich white people living there, that suddenly is populated by poor people of color who can't afford to fund government services, and then a place like the city of St. Louis can say, that's just not our fucking problem. Yeah. And and on top of that, with, with you know these kind of public-private partnerships like you have with like the circulator in dc or something where private organizations start taking over the role of city governments to provide the kind of transit services necessary for like a community to function they're not going to provide those to to communities that need them to survive you Absolutely. know just there's this uh, scene in the big short where they like go to a you know a half-built housing development in 2009 like right after the housing crisis start knocking on doors and find like 75% of the houses are empty when they finally find someone and it's like a Hispanic family just being like, hey, did you know that your house is like four months behind on payment? And then the guy's just like, wait, are you kidding me? I've been paying my rent. Are you telling me I'm going to get kicked out of my home? Which is like exactly what's going to happen. Developers and like property owners who own these suburban houses that aren't making as much money anymore are just going to kind of start defaulting on them because oh, I mean, that it's makes not more even... money for them. <laughs> 
there was, we have more houses. I think it's in the six millions. You know, what I mean, versus however many home the homeless population. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's United like six States. houses so, for every homeless person. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely sad. ludicrous, and there's it's no secret that the housing bubble is going to be one of many bubbles that is going to burst. You know what I mean? In the upcoming years here in the United well, States, and, so and, it's and utterly this, ludicrous. Like it's ridiculous. To tie this back to the HUD problem in a way, like this is not a problem in Tulsa because Tulsa has actually really the best public policy in the U.S., if not in the world, whenever it comes to dealing with flood problems. Um, but in places like Houston and Puerto Rico, the the hurricane, on the one hand, in exactly the same way it did in Katrina, cleared out poor residents to allow for more expensive developments in places that had been poor because all this stuff gets destroyed and they don't get resettled there. And then also, you know, was fueled by developers saying, oh, we can build this shitty fucking housing in a shitty fucking place with the full expectation we will see it destroyed at some point by a storm or something. And we don't have to worry about it because we're going to get that rent. We don't have to give a fuck about these people that see their livelihoods destroyed. The dream is to become a place like Cuba where you take all of these mansions and divide them into four separate units and house everyone. That's what I'm saying is that I... <laughs> Dirty Man. socialists. <laughs> well, speaking of dirty socialists, uh, well, I guess it's not speaking of dirty socialists. Speaking of ruining people's lives and destroying the livelihood of the state, uh, why don't you tell us about the strike coming up, Coral? Yes, yes. So uh, before oh, I jump bro. into this, uh, my I just want to say this. I don't know if you saw this, Lassie, uh, but my my favorite for the week is Jacobin's article about the up- upcoming teacher strike. Very good article, yeah. Did you did you see the Booker T Washington t- yes. teacher in that? Because Lassie and my's uh, economics teacher at Booker T was in Jacobin magazine, <laughs> um, and that was pretty funny because he's like a to- like he has like oh, frosted tips, Mickey his, Miller. Like, uh, <laughs> but but solidarity, Mickey Miller. Solidarity. Absolutely, yeah. Props props to Mickey. Yeah. Um, but now let's let's go through the fun week we had <laughs> about mm-hmm. the strike. So. Um, on Monday, we had like the biggest thing in Oklahoma in political history, literally in all of our lives, right? Because none of us are over 28 years old. And so we have seen one tax increase in our entire lives. Um, and that was done by a vote of the people. Uh, because the legislature under state question 640 and its amendment to the state constitution can pass a tax increase to the people and then we can vote on it. But for a tax increase to happen from the legislature without a vote of the people, it takes, as, as we've talked about, ad nauseum at this point, um, three-fourths majority of both houses, right? And on Monday, the House finally got around to actually doing its goddamn job and creating revenue, right? So they passed a law increasing the teacher pay raise schedule by an average of $6,100, right? It depends on experience and education levels, how much you actually get. It goes from $5,000 to $8,000. And then the Senate passed it and Governor Fallon ended up signing it. What's important about this law, however, no matter how historic it is, that it's literally the first time since 1990 Two years before the passage of State Question 640 and the amendment to the state constitution requiring that three-fourths majority, it's it's the first time they've ever passed anything since the last teacher strike. Um, And another important thing about this is that what what I really want to say about this is that it it, it doesn't come close to matching up with OEA's ask. OEA asked for $6,000 pay raises to teachers in the first year and then two 
for the next two years, a $2,000 pay raise each year, right? For a total of $10,000, which would be a, a like very big increase. And, and they didn't include that. Additionally, they didn't include a lot of funding for regular school services, like providing for things like books or chairs. There was a Facebook post that went around not terribly long ago where this teacher was like, look at the chairs my students have to sit in. They literally fight over getting a chair that doesn't fit their clothes when they sit in it in my art class, right? <laughs> so they wanted that. And it also didn't include the, the pay raises for basic state services or the pay raises for state employees that OEA asked for. So right now, this is not something that's going to solve the problem, right? Um, additionally, so I'm going to go through what the tax provided for because this provides something that's very important to understand about how fucking crazy what's going on at the state capitol right now is that's leading to the strike. Um, this package that they passed includes a dollar in tax uh, to a pack of cigarettes, increasing the gross production oil field tax to 5% from 2%, adding three cents tax to a gallon of gasoline and six cents to diesel and a five dollar charge per night on hotel and motel rooms in establishments with three or more rooms and it's ex this package that they passed is expected to raise 447 million dollars for appropriations in fiscal year 2019. um the thing about that is that the senate said immediately when the house sent them this bill that this five dollar charge per night on hotel and motel rooms was a no-go. Now, I'm very opposed to this $5 tax on that because for a lot of poor people who can't pass credit checks, living in a hotel or motel, you know, is, is how they can afford to have a place to live, right? Because you can't pass credit check and get a place to rent. And so this is just a $150 a month increase in rent for poor people that can't live in a normal rental home, right? That's not why the Senate opposed it. The Senate opposed it because the tourism lobby showed up and in less than a day convinced them to not vote for something because it went against their economic interests, which is really important. Teachers have been screaming about the problem of education funding in this state for the entirety of all of our lifetimes, and they haven't gotten shit until they threaten to go on strike, and it's less than a week until they go on strike. The hotel lobby sees a tax pass that they don't like, and in less than a day, gets the House to repeal it so that the Senate will sign off on the bill so they can send it to the governor, right? Now, Correct. Priorities, man. What, Priorities. I love it. You know, it's But it's I mean, also, like, really ludicrous to think about, right? And I, I've always known that education is shit here in Oklahoma. But, like, to actually have on record the fact that we have not had a major tax increase at all since— Any tax like, increase. Like, like in my fucking life, the entirety yeah, of all of our lifetimes, all of our life, like and like the fact that to think that the government is still attempting to run on its budget in from 1990, 1992, you know, whatever the fuck it is like or or less, probably less. Um, it, it just is it, it, it is so enlightening in the fact that we can't fund road projects like we can't fund literally anything. And it's gotten anything. to the point where everything is falling apart and literally like. Shit has to stop functioning and stop working because people are starving, can't afford to live, can't afford anything for us to come to the realization of, oh, yeah, taxes are a thing or, oh, yeah, political, like, involvement is a thing. And well, we no. just kind of let these shitters run this place into the ground so hard. And, and, and well, like and what we're saying with this, this, these, <laughs> these motherfuckers who just, like, they come in the lobbyists within a fucking day. It's like, within bro. A 
state. I mean, like, there's that Marx quote where he says the state is like the something along the lines of like the state is 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 the the common guidance of of the interests of the bourgeoisie or something. And it's like literally, you know, you well, have these like, people not, spending not to not to diminish the uh, alluring draw of Oklahoma tourism, but the fact that they're prioritizing <laughs> that over uh, just the education funding that is killing our state the, like that's literally the funding. topic of national news right yes. now they're like oh yeah we don't give a fuck we need oklahoma tourism because <laughs> capitalism will solve for our kids not ever being picked up like for 97 of what the 97 of the 204 counties are already on a four-day school week yeah fuck me yeah to be fair well, the and- tourism industry is going to explode when everyone's flocking to oklahoma to see the real life movie dread <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the craziest thing to me is that Devin Tower just turns into one of those towers. Yeah, oh, sorry, <laughs> Judge Mega Oklahoma City One. The craziest thing to me, right? So how how this works is that the legislature passed this increase to the pay scale for teachers, right? To the minimum pay scale for teachers. That has been signed into law. The appropriations bill for this is separate, and now they have. In order to pass the appropriations bill and the pay raise for teachers, have blown a fifty million dollar hole in the budget for fiscal year twenty nineteen by taking this hotel motel tax off the table. So <laughs> we already have a budget hole problem going into fiscal year nineteen, and just in order to get the pay raise passed that doesn't meet the demands of OEA, <laughs> not even close, like not even, not even remotely. Close. Not even remotely meets any part of the demands. Imagination. They had to put an automatic fifty million dollar hole in our budget. Um, though I do, I, I want to say a few more things before we actually start talking about what's going to go on the strike. Uh, the first thing that I think is probably the most important is that teachers have said, "Hey, we're getting our pay raise for the first year that we wanted. That's great, but we're not going on strike for that pay raise. That pay raise is part of why we're going on strike, but we're going on strike." to fund education so that Oklahoma students get the education they deserve. So giving us a pay raise is never going to be enough. You have to fund education generally. Yeah, we and see what that post means, after post, right, like on social media about how, like, teachers' accounts of having to use, like, I, I think the most recent one that you shared was about, like, the broken chairs and broken equipment that they're forced to yeah. use all the time. Like, just giving the teachers a livelihood increase doesn't uh, come close to, like, they're still going to have to spend yeah, that money. they're still paying for their supplies and... It, it, like, like, no, we gotta find the fuck... Ugh. Sorry, but sorry for cutting you off. Go for it. <laughs> Well, shit. no, but blows I mean, my fucking this, mind that it's like yeah, you it's just, just you didn't want more money. Like, <laughs> what? What do you mean that the school needs money? That's where waste goes. Well, and that's also like what's important about this is that teachers basically now get to say we got the pay raise at least for the first year that we wanted, but that's not why we were going on strike. So all these fucking conservative animals that like deserve to be eaten because of how scummy they are can't say that it's not about the students because the teachers get to be like, we got the pay raise we wanted for the first year. That's not why we're going on strike. Well, yeah. And, and it's like also pathetic, actual... to, yeah, pathetic to be like, oh, yeah, just to try to get them to go away by being like, oh, here's more money. Can y'all like fuck off now? Yeah, Like that's kind of the standoff. Like, oh, it's, it, they plan this out. They're just like, all right, we'll give them like a paltry raise. And then... The, the it's put on them for continuing the strike because, hey, we gave you something. How are you still striking? Now you're just hurting the students. Now you're just being greedy because... Have you guys, have you guys seen the Facebook posts that are like... 
we're gonna take Monday off to thank the legislators for. Okay, no, I want to oh, fucking God. say something about that shit Jeez. because Mary Fallon uh. came out when she signed this bill and was like, "I expect all Dude, those educators to I show up on fucking Monday thank you. and oh and say thank God. you to the legislators." I was gonna say, and I I was like, "Thank you, Mary Fallon. You have stopped being good by any stretch of the imagination. You're Mary Fallon again. Eat my goddamn <laughs> asshole, you evil person." God, like, just, like, talk about shitting in their mouths, being like, oh, I expect teachers to go to work, and I expect a a solid thank you for what it is that we're doing. And, I mean, I think it was KFOR that put that story out or something like that, and quickly, like, backtracked as soon as that post went viral, right, and, like, rewrote their little piece that was all, uh, she was like, oh, I'm I'm so glad the legislature is finally supporting our teachers or some bullshit like that. I was like, yeah, y'all fucking... Change that shit up real quick, because holy fuck, will teachers well, come that, out down there and beat your ass with them broken chairs? Wow. There was like a video of some teacher from Claremore who was like, you want me to come say fucking thank you? Are you kidding? I mean, she wasn't swearing, of course, because uh, it was like an actual news video, and she's an educator, and we have potty mouths. Uh, but she was like, right, are you kidding license. me? <laughs> I mean, this teacher was just like, this is such a joke. Like, the fact that they think we will do this shows that not only do they not care about our kids, they don't understand that we care about our kids as Oklahoma teachers. And it was, just, it was, it was ridiculous to hear a teacher be like, the legislature is so out of touch with day-to-day Oklahomans. Yeah, um, one of the, uh, something, another, another post that I saw was with the, um, it, like, it, hey, it was evaluated, I think it was, a, it, it was a side-by-side shot of Mary Fallon signing the bill. And um, the necklace she was wearing and the value oh, of whatever yeah, the fuck yeah. it was. She was, she was wearing a yeah. Chanel necklace that was worth like two grand or something like that. And was like, oh, this is a third of the pay raise I'm giving all of these teachers. It's uh, like, before before we get into the actual details of the strike, there was another story that just came out like two days ago about uh, Kentucky teachers uh, skipping class to protest a surprise pension overhaul. Uh, in which a bunch of them went to the Kentucky State Capitol. Um, just Arizona demanding. teachers are also going on strike right now. Yeah, I, mean, I think that out. West Virginia has catalyzed and Oklahoma solidified that, oh, you, it's okay to start making demands that, hey, we are 15, 20, 30 years overdue for a lot of these uh, raises, uh, spending increases, all of these things that have been hurting us for decades. And I think it's, like, super encouraging to see a lot of different places across the country being emboldened by actual progress in West Virginia and Oklahoma. Red states and the South, man. Yeah. Like, holy yeah, shit. Yeah, because they're the ones who have been, like, slashed I mean, the ones chopped needed. up the yeah. most. Yeah. I saw, uh, all- I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on another episode, but I saw a graph showing, like, how much Oklahoma teachers could make by moving to different states. And, yeah, there was, like, a 53000 dollar a year increase from their original salary for those moving from Oklahoma to uh, Massachusetts. Oh yeah, no there's literally a uh, one of my one of my friends from Tulsa uh, who teaches at TCCC um, she's going to uh, she's just moving to Denver because she was like, yeah, I can go be a high school biology teacher and go make like 60k. Yeah, I mean and I was like, what the actual fuck? I mean, granted Denver is a higher standard of living than it is here, but that's still like at least 45, you know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's still more than even with the full 10,000 pay raise you'd get starting here as a teacher. Exactly. So comparatively no, to like cost of living. Our increase, like, what the, if the teachers got everything that they were asking for, it would still be significantly less than a lot of states. 
Yeah. But like I it's just baffling that we pay teachers so little and that we like lose all of these great educators to states that actually pay them decent wages and they're like, Why is this education in Oklahoma so bad? Uh, oh, why is, you know, half half the districts are on four-day school weeks? Because you literally can't pay to run the fucking schools. Yeah. Like, okay, but I think the best thing is hearing from all these conservatives that are like, oh, Oklahoma, schools in Oklahoma are so shitty, why aren't they any good? Oh, teachers don't deserve pay raises. And it's like, y'all believe that, like, price is indicative of quality, right? Like, y'all, y'all fundamentally believe that if you're in the market. <laughs> Uh, well, that's why we just need school vouchers, Carl. We're just going to put everybody, uh, look, listen, if you can't afford to pay three grand a semester to go to school, to pay your teachers, like we've said this before, you, we need to make everything out of pocket. Okay. And so if you can't afford to tip your teacher at the end of every school day, all right, you can't afford to go to school. And so we'll just send you right to the mine. Or I guess that's going to happen. High schools, your, your high school teacher is going to hold out a if tip can't afford jar at the tip. end of the lecture. If you can't afford a tip, don't go to school. That is and what then I'm all saying. These high school, and then they'll get mad because all these high school teachers will just have a shit ton of gram, dime bags in their tip jar. The, the, new, the new Oklahoma public education program is just going to be Watch Khan Academy on YouTube. <laughs> Don't understand how close it is to that. It is no. There, yeah, there are people suggesting online I mean, classes that you need from home. I don't know what you're talking uh, about. That's <laughs> Oklahoma, Oklahoma. I mean, has one of the highest rates of enrollment in um, the uh, online version of high school because it, it is literally a better education like <laughs> platform than going to public school. Folks, well, Life Church is going to take to... over Oklahoma public Please. education, <laughs> broadcasting from a central location. All right, that's not funny. Lincoln. That's not funny, Lassie. I, I'm sorry. You're gonna have to stop. All right? of oh, my parents uh, go to Life Church, please. Okay. <laughs> the, I feel personally attacked by that one, Lassie. Parker, you, your parents get the wall after the revolution. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a okay, model. So I think that, that this is a thing because when you have this is like an important structural thing about our economy is that when you have the model of two parent income households as a requirement for raising a child, you have to have public schools so that children aren't just wandering the streets getting picked up by like people who look like Steve Buscemi and candy cans. Um, <laughs> and 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 so like teachers occupy this structural position where if they go on strike, nothing else fucking works. <laughs> and that's I mean, that's that's the thing to me that's so important is that what we're seeing in red states is this thing where teachers can say, you know what, we have a power that nobody else has because we can make it stop working. We will make our society stop working if we go on strike. Yeah, and it's not something they want to do. I've seen, I mean, a lot of our teachers, Carl, and I'm sure Parker and Adam, both of yours, are like a lot of teachers just agonizing over the decision because it does hurt students to have to do this, but... It's not, they're, they're not the ones doing this. They're, the state has forced their hand because they wouldn't be doing this unless it's absolutely necessary. The state is the one that's hurting these students. The legislature is the one that's like causing all the problems. The right. teachers are forced to do this despite the fact that they really don't want to because that negatively affects the students. Because Listen, this they is can't America. survive. Yeah, this is America. No one's forcing anybody to do anything. Okay. Like the, uh, the Homer yeah. Simpson quote: "If you don't like your job, you don't go on strike. You just go in every day and do it real half-assed." 
<laughs> well, I mean, what, what are the, one actually positive thing that came out of this was I saw that um, some um, cafeteria staff and like uh, bus drivers are actually going to be delivering meals to um, kids who uh, like for free for, and, and opening uh, op- opening up the cafeteria for people who actually rely on school lunches. So that actually is going to be something yeah. that's going to continue. And I think that's something that um, Green County DSA is, is doing too, right? Uh, uh-huh. Getting a lot of a lot of cafeteria places okay. are, are doing that. Everybody, everybody is doing that. Um, basically, all like, I'll include some links and stuff. But yeah, everybody is doing that. From so I don't think there's any the, argument that if that anybody can make that it's like, oh, you hate the kids because literally you're doing everything that you can. You know what I mean? And to, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, in spite of, yeah, of what's of going these, on, a lot of these teachers, while on strike, are still doing things to make sure they support the kids because I, yeah, the, they don't. A want lot of to kids, kids are going to go with their teachers to the strike. Yeah. Like yeah, I mean, yeah, is, it's, like, it's a bullshit like, argument to say that you know the teachers are hurting the kids. I I just I, I'm filled with rage every time I hear someone say that or see an article asserting was, that like look at what they're doing to these kids. That great meme that was like, uh, you think the left's organizing your children? <laughs> no, it's your children that is organizing the left. It's yeah. worse. <laughs> I was like, fuck yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think I, I think though that an important part of why the strike can be super successful is because, and this is just like paradigmatic for me like that thing you were describing parker where the workers are going to still be working and delivering food to people um if you look at tulsa public schools right tps is the second largest district in the state and it's headed by this absolute asshole deborah gist who when she was uh, uh the head of a school district in rhode island was just like neoliberalism can cure everything from cancer to like poverty right total fucking shitbag of a person and now that she's the head of TPS, is like, holy fuck, we're supporting a strike by teachers because it's so bad. Like, that's an insane shift to see from somebody as, like, a policy figure to go from, I'm, like, the head, I'm the face of neoliberalism in public schools to, like, I, I support a strike and will do what I can to make sure it happens if the oh, teachers yeah, want to do this accelerationism. <laughs> that things are going to shred of empathy no in her fucking body. One of the things that's also happened is that, like, we were worried about, because, you know, we're, Carl, you're at the very least involved in the debate community. Um, all of us are willing to put our time to make debate state happen, and, like, a bunch of judges are going for free in order to support the teachers, so we were afraid that, like, OSSAA, you know what I mean, all of those things would have to yeah. be canceled for all of those kids, and so we're putting that on for this weekend for them, which will be pretty great. But hopefully, other people can, you know what I mean. Everybody can contribute in their own meaningful way to the strike. Well, do we want to move on and have uh, Mr. Nelson tell us about the uh, Tulsa Beacon? <laughs> we got some real gems out of the Tulsa Beacon. <laughs> found a, a new a new pool of articles. To so, uh, <laughs> so I, I found two just because they're so like they're really really short. And I have one that's topical on the teacher the teacher uh, actually the teacher strike, and another one that Carl I think you found as well, um, which <laughs> was about marijuana ravaging yeah. Colorado. <laughs> we, so we, we need some laughs after this teacher strike and seeing the dismantling of federal programs right and in, so, in with some dessert <laughs> well we'll start with the teacher strike uh well the teacher strike one so the tulsa beacon is a phenomenal place that had their website like built by a third grader i think um i'm it's, not really before it, it says the tulsa beacon a family newspaper like what's that mean <laughs> I, I i really don't know and they it's have the flanders like, press 
Uh, they have just <laughs> weird links at the bottom for like Hatfield's restaurant. Um, and there's one that says most Tulsa City County libraries. <laughs> but it's a broken link, so it doesn't even actually work. I don't know. Not I don't know why all. they include they most. include most. But so anyway, anyway, this is um, uh, an, an editorial they posted um, called Teachers Teachers Union Wants a Strike. Um, and they start out by saying the Oklahoma Education Association, a parentheses teachers union, and parentheses wants a walkout of public school teachers on April 2nd of demand. What are those demands? A, one, a 10000 a year raise for all teachers. Two, a 5000 year raise for other school employees. Three, $200 million more for public education. With the cents on there as well? I don't know why they didn't. They put all the zeros. <laughs> all the zeros. $200 million, 69 cents. <laughs> They gotta add extra zeros to make it look like a bigger number that these greedy teachers want. For a cost of living increase for retirees, five, quote, full staffing for all state agencies. And six, a $7,500 a year raise for all state employees. Uh, it is scary that these people have influence over the people who teach our school children. First, <laughs> first. Just that, they're just like, these people want more money. It is terrifying that they cheat, teach children. <laughs> First they can radicalize our children into thinking they deserve living wages. <laughs> what a First, horrifying prospect. Lawmakers are working hard to fund a five thousand a year raise for teachers without raising taxes? Question mark. <laughs> they they put a period. I'm putting my question mark. Uh, that can work. That would elevate Oklahoma above the regional average for salaries. No, it wouldn't. It definitely uh, wouldn't. Second, a walkout or a strike is exactly the wrong message to send to students and lawmakers. Fake news. <laughs> many, many students love it when schools are closed for any reason. <laughs> this lazy <laughs> The idea that teachers unions think a strike is a good example for our youth is backward thinking. It Woo, sends this no message. Rules. It sends this message. Our pay is more important than investing time in the learning process. Yep, Even if the learning it. process amounts yep. to all of you sitting on a tile floor that's missing what? three ceiling tiles. and All right, uh, but how is – there's places in Oklahoma that have four-day school weeks. I, I don't, I don't <laughs> have, it would take – I did the math. It would take – 36 days of a teacher strike to equal the amount of days that those students in those 91 districts with fucking four-day school weeks miss in a normal year now. 36-day strike. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so the OEA, like most unions, doesn't care about the financial impact of their demands. This is why the list is so way over the top. Oklahoma voters made it clear in 2016 when they rejected the extra penny state sales tax increase for education. Government gets enough cash to properly fund education. It's just being misspent. I, I, I love how they trot out this like problem with the fucking penny sales tax. Maybe the fact that two out of every three Oklahomans make less than $50,000 a year might be why they voted against a fucking sales tax increase. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I <laughs> I don't know. Ridiculous. Hey, hey, Carl, you the tax no implications idea. aren't like you know they, they they don't disproportionately affect people. I don't know what you're insinuating here. <laughs> also, okay, that like, is not Oklahomans voted down the penny tax increase, so therefore never raise taxes again. Yeah. That means <laughs> yeah. they never ever <laughs> want to see taxes raised anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that one state question, six forty or whatever you said before. Yeah, bullshit. Doesn't matter. With nineteen ninety, <laughs> we're keeping this record straight. All right. The dirty little secret about the OEA <laughs> is that it's free since. Not- 
<laughs> God damn it. <laughs> the dirty little secret about the OEA is that it is not as politically powerful as some think. In fact, without the daily support of the liberal news media, that union would have little <laughs> real influence. All right, they but Tulsa to- Beacon probably considers like the Tulsa world to be the liberal media. <laughs> the Tulsa Beacon probably reads the Oklahoman editorial page every day and is like, who let these fucking Stalinists... <laughs> this is like Luxembourgist council communist into the Oklahoma media environment. <laughs> oh my god! I, I just thought they were the Oklahoma were jerking each other. There off. was there was oh, another article they had calling Mary Fallon, Fallon a Democrat. They're like she yeah. should just <laughs> come out as a, come out as a liberal spender. She's a yeah. They called they called her a tax and spend Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry, go on, Perk. Oh, I mean, that's basically it. There's one more sentence, and they just say they want to get their demands, and the goal... This one just doesn't really make sense as a sentence. And they say <laughs> they, want to, they want to get their demands, and the gulf between the union and good teachers will grow. Who are these what? good teachers? I don't understand. Like, why, what's the and for? <laughs> Because they, no, they literally mean in like, size. Good teachers will get larger. <laughs> <laughs> well, but like, really... it seems like they're implying that good teachers are like suburban housewives whose husbands make like two hundred thousand dollars, like working a private, like no, you I don't can tell know, that that is lobbying their, like, just like, hall, Okay. <laughs> Like, all, all of their, like, you can tell through this that they do assume every teacher is, like, a married couple that has a second income. <laughs> they oh, don't well, consider why would Why would a good moral woman not be married to a man <laughs> who can provide for her? That's yeah, we true. already went That's... over What's-His-Face, that Missouri dude, for the special edition way back when. <laughs> I did re-listen to that recently. Yeah. Well, uh, wait, no, but if they're teaching, that means that they're probably an old maid, right? They've, they're unwed at that point, because any... Uh, woman with a job is clearly not married. <laughs> well, as we all know, the home-based enterprises, all right? Home-based enterprises. The teacher free housing every two weeks as she moves from home to home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, working a teaching job basically is free housing because you're indoors for eight to ten hours a day. <laughs> what a oh, joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should be paying rent to be in those classrooms. Okay, don't. Now, uh, we have to be careful because we cannot give them ideas. Okay. That's true. They might I'm actually just, do. That. I'm just really surprised that ORU has its own classroom space. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so, okay, do we want else. to do this? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, something else that happened, and I'm gonna give you a little context before we go into this one. Um, I don't know if y'all are both aware. Um, both how or both um chambers in the Oklahoma legislature um passed. Uh, recently uh, passed bills on the regulation of medical marijuana, uh, medical marijuana, um, Ooh, yeah. and uh, the, I think I'm I'm pretty like it, just coming from my gut instinct. I think it's because the state question on 788 that we're voting on uh, come at the end of June um, is to uh, make some sort of uh, 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 or at the very least send it to the voters on whether or not we want uh, particular parts of these types of policies passed and whether or not we think that it can work uh, because we already passed CBD for uh, people with epilepsy, et cetera, et cetera, and so. Um, um, that being the case, uh, both both chambers passed uh, versions of bills, and they passed surprisingly in the Senate. Um, it was twenty six for eleven abstaining, zero against. So they passed a lot of measures in the Senate to 
uh, provide medical like medical marijuana regulation. I think to jump in front of and be able to sort of shape what they what because they see it as an inevitability of 788 passing uh, that they want to be able to uh, kind of still restrict it from people who really need it, like PTSD patients, and you know, uh, it only really give it to people with cancer and whatnot. So. I mean, we smoke and miscreants with epilepsy. Restrict it from from seizure (laughs) patients as well. And so I'm just like, you know, oh, that's totally going to fucking help things. But I think that this Tulsa Beacon um, editorial is in response (laughs) to these two uh, pieces of legislation that were still really just ineffective in terms of, uh, like, we might get medical, but there's no decriminalization on the board. You know what I mean? So, But this is uh, their reaction. This Tulsa Beacon Beacon article is like the multiverse of (laughs) multiverse's brain. It's so, but let's just dive right in. So it's called Marijuana Ravages Colorado. Okay, this is posted... Posted three days ago, and it's like it starts out with a great rhetorical question of how has the legalization of marijuana helped Colorado? You can smell marijuana all over urban Colorado, <laughs> including residential neighborhoods after five years of legalization. Coincidentally, Colorado has one of the highest rates of growth of homelessness in the past five years. Homeless people are drawn to Colorado now for easy access to pot. <laughs> Homeless people were always concerned about buying their drugs legally. You know, Tristan? Tristan wasn't just That guy was concerned about the law. Well, and they're also drawn to a place that have some of the harshest winters in the, in the United yep. States to be Oops. homeless. So it's just for the allure of legal weed. And so the, num- the number oh, of wait, drivers... Pause, pause. I would like to say this right now. This article forgot to mention that John Denver's Rocky Mountain High was... <laughs> A terrifying science fiction dystopian novel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, go on. so, so go, move, uh, move, the, the number of drivers involved in fatal crashes who have tested positive for pot has doubled. School administrators have reported an increase in marijuana in public schools, so they're smoking pot in class. They're funding their education, at least. Uh, according to to one statewide report, marijuana violations in schools has, have jumped almost 50% in the past four years. In high school, the number is closer to 70%. School suspension for drugs is up 45%. They could bake a fucking cherry pie with the amount of fucking picking they're doing in this shit. That's also uh, not like Booker T. Washington High School, when we were going there, had literally three different places for you to go smoke weed during <laughs> class. <laughs> One of them being the actual school parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) The the National Survey on Drug Use and Health ranks uh, ranks Colorado first in the country for marijuana use among teens. The problem is the decriminalization of recreational marijuana and the ensuing commercialization. Yeah, because it wasn't number one for weed smoking before that. (laughs) (laughs) there's no one in boulder colorado smoking that loud before they legalized it oh absolutely and so kids are getting expelled from school and more people are dying on the highways (laughs) 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 this legalized moral lapse begins with legalization of marijuana uh, for medicinal purposes proponents exaggerate the impact and need for marijuana and downplay the societal woes (laughs) oklahoma is about to make a big mistake the state will vote this year on legalizing the use of marijuana for medicinal reasons. It will pass because of a coalition of people who want a, re- a relaxation of drug laws and, ineffect- and ineffective opposition. It will fail. It will facilitate cultivation of marijuana and will eventually lead to legal.
legalization of recreational smoking of marijuana, at least they agree with us, uh, almost <laughs> of the inevitability. Almost everyone in law enforcement opposes this vote because they see firsthand the impact of this gateway drug. Yeah, because I'm, they'll I'm stop making fucking... money from imprisoning people for gateway. drug charges. All uh, these cops gateway. are just like, how am I going to get to beat up all these black kids if we legalize pot? Yeah, I was... How are our prisons going to make money if we can't throw someone in jail for having two grams? Lassie, you and I have literally been in a park where some friends of ours were smoking pot. True story. I was not smoking pot. You were not smoking pot. They were smoking yeah, pot. Never, we ever smoked like, pot before. I've never smoked pot once in my life. Um, yeah, we're all law-abiding. I'm not high right now. <laughs> <laughs> Can you put a bong sound in for that, Adam? No. <laughs> I have to. What? I have to do professional things with my life, guy. You. you're <laughs> you, Why are you on this podcast? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I wonder that myself every once in a while. <laughs> I can't wait for the bar association to be like, Adam. We would love to admit you, but we listen to your fucking pot. This is. A, you're gonna have to be like. This is irony. Uh, smoke a bunch of weed. Oh no! I have. I have all kinds of. <laughs> I've got all kinds of excuses for y'all, motherfuckers. Don't even worry. Not to, go not, back, to, to go back. not to discredit our podcast, but I have literally no fear that the city of Boston will come across this. <laughs> <laughs> As I said in the in the great uh, uh, Booker T. Washington speech in debate group chat, uh, yeah, we're, we'll never get sponsored because no one will ever pay money for us. Um, but to go back to the point I was making, <laughs> we were in a, in a public park in Tulsa one time. Some friends of ours were smoking pot. A cop showed up. And literally was just like, I just please stop smoking pot under the light. Like, I'm really annoyed by the fact that I had to show up and talk to you all. I was doing fine with my coffee and donut. And the fucking neighbors called me because you all are underneath the light. And clearly, some of you are very high. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Clearly, some of you are fucking blitzed right now. That's the one, chill. like, that's one argument that they you never hear the anti-pot people say. It's like, yeah, you know the cops could, like, probably be looking at real crimes if they weren't busy tracking down, getting no, the... Actually... <laughs> that's what he said. He's like, yeah, we have real things to be doing. Like, we can't... <laughs> Or even if he doesn't, I don't want to have to be here doing this thing that I'm expected to enforce. What the Free Beacon wants is the minority. It totally lines up with, like, literally everyone in law enforcement opposing this vote because they see the first-hand impact. He he totally cares about the livelihood of these students. I Shout out, Wilson. Free Beacon wants, like, a minority report-style computer where they're looking for children smoking pot, (laughs) future (laughs) crimes to detect people smoking a doobie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Finish it out. Oh my. Uh, That just says Oklahoma should learn a lesson from Colorado and reject medical marijuana. So (laughs) this is just like so. It's just like the the analysis in this article is irrefutable. Like it just (laughs) dives into so many nuanced areas that we are hopelessly can't even begin to cover on this podcast. Um, So we're going to admit defeat here uh, at Red Star of (laughs) Oklahoma. Uh, I think I can actually speak for the others uh, here. And that we're not even going to go out and vote on 788, even if we get this legislation passed by Oklahoma. Thank you, Tulsa Beacon, uh, for all of your hard work in uh, protecting the lives of the kids' schools you refuse to fund. So. That's the the terror of becoming the just decrepit hellscape of Colorado. <laughs> I just, just don't understand how more terrible than like people smoking pot <laughs> and massive increases in tax revenue. 
Right. <laughs> and funding schools, you know, like it's nothing will, you know, they're like, oh, we're not perpetuating homelessness by denying people education, which is one of the biggest, you know, uh, means of class stratification in our society. So, you know, we also can't give them weed because they got to be hardworking people. Then they that, might have fun when they're homeless. <laughs> <laughs> because that, that that's the perpetuating problem and not some economic driving force. Right. Till speaking, we love you. Well, Carl, you want to tell us about socialist events happening this week? Before yes. we do that, real quick, can we? Are we going to like get? So we're we're adding these slowly. We have the Oklahoma editorial board, and now the Tulsa Beacon. Can we like keep a running list of our own bingo sheets, or like maybe a dartboard, <laughs> or you could get that ticking wheel sound to see who we actually get to read this week? I think it'll start becoming <laughs> an actual honor. We can send them their uh, honorary, uh, like the, the, their uh, commemorative bag of shit, if you like. <laughs> oh fuck. No, I'm going to tag the Tulsa Beacon in this episode on the social media because if anybody's going to respond, the Oklahoman sees us and is like, I give no fucks. We have like a circulation of like 200,000 people. But the Tulsa Beacon would be like, these demon communists (laughs) to bring into Oklahoma. (laughs) It would make my life. Please, Tulsa Beacon. We are. This is a call out. Oh, yes. Also, if you all actually publish something from us, I will literally send you a photo of my asshole. That's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't uh, even know if, like, the person writing the articles for the Tulsa Beacon is probably just having, like, their grandson teach them how to set up a website. So they might not know how to I, I access really, our podcast. I really feel like the Tulsa Beacon is like that episode of The Office where Ryan is like, yeah, Creed asked me to set him up a... Uh, <laughs> Uh, a website so that he could blog and I just opened up a word processor that I check every once in a while because no one should read this <laughs> uh, anyway socialist events go yeah uh, so, so before I like start reading the events I just want to tell everybody and we as the show want to tell everyone listening to help with the strike in whatever way you can like call the capital call your legislators and call the governor's app office and tell them to grow spines uh call your school district and schools and voice your support if you tell have money ev- donate to some of these groups that are helping out yeah i, I mean tell Buy them all pizza the teachers, yeah bring pizza um tell and tell all the teachers you know that you're behind them and go volunteer in whatever way you can so suggest to your jobs also, if you own businesses give them discounts like there's plenty of places yeah, local businesses around here that i know are no giving away things for free you know or giving significant discounts for teachers yeah and 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 if you can't donate money if you can't afford to go give some pizza or some money you know give it give them time if you can't give them time if you have some kind of skill you can use donate that donate your fucking social media presence to this just do anything you can if you can go to the capitol just go and scream like just show up and be like just yell just yell don't even say words just yell um but very importantly when you're doing this Try and always make it consciously socialist. So if you're donating somewhere and there's like a little message box or something, include some kind of anti-capitalist message or donate to one of the many socialist organizations that are involved in this. Um, If you're protesting somewhere, take a socialist sign with you. And if you're working with others and they aren't already socialists, I'm sure a lot of you are going to be working with socialists, strike up that conversation about socialism and about how this problem is connected to capitalism. Yeah, this is a very pragmatic, real-world way to show people how socialism can impact people's lives for the better. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, that's exactly the point. This is probably the greatest opportunity in the history of Oklahoma to develop some kind of class consciousness and awareness of the problems that capitalism causes in our communities. So let's not just use it to fight for, for the right of our students, for the rights of our teachers. Let's also use it to advance the cause of socialism. You know, it, it, it's a great opportunity, and I just want everybody to keep that in mind when they're doing the stuff they're doing to support the strike. Um, Svidanya, comrade. Tovarish. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now but, we're on a list. If we weren't before, <laughs> yeah, we are no, now. We've, actually, <laughs> we've uh, just been moved up places the, on the list, actually. So We were funded, funded by the FGB or whatever the fuck it's called now. Um, yeah, it's true. Uh, but on to the actual events. So on Monday, so tomorrow, uh, April 2nd, GCDSA and DSA North Texas. And this is the first time I'll ever say anything. And the last time, hopefully, I'll <laughs> ever say anything nice about Texas. Shout out to North Texas DSA for coming in to do this. Um, they'll be at the state capitol from 8 to 5 for their United We Bargain Solidarity with Oklahoma Teachers event. On Wednesday, April 4th, GCDSA is having an external organizing meeting at the Central Library from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Also starting on April 4th and lasting till April 10th, the March for Education hashtag walk the talk will walk from Tulsa to the state capitol, sleeping in high school gymnasiums along the way. It starts at Webster High School in Tulsa, and every day will involve something between 10 to 20 miles of walking. Um, and they say, if you want to do that, you can donate, you can help. We're going to include the, the Facebook page for that on the Reddit post. And that if you want to walk some of it, not all of it, you know, they're going to try and organize cars to make sure that works. Um, on Thursday, April 5th, GCDSA and Tulsa's Dream Act chapter are having an Immigrant Rights Network meeting at the Dennis R. Neal Equality Center from 6.30 to 8 p.m., and on Friday, April 6th, the New Sanctuary Network of Tulsa has its weekly protest at the David L. Moss Criminal Justice Center from 2 to 2.20 p.m. And I want to give them a special shout out because they won the Best Activist Group Award from the Tulsa Voice in the Best of Tulsa 2018. <clears throat> um, and one last thing from them, they wanted us to read this statement from Dimac, Oklahoma, Tulsa and its supporters regarding the 20, uh, 287G contract between the Tulsa County Sheriff's Sheriff's Office in ICE. Um, we are alarmed and concerned about a news story released by Fuerza Tulsa on Thursday, March 22nd, 2018, covering a discussion given by Tol the Tulsa County Sheriff Vic Regalado on the 287, fuck, 287G contract with ICE. We consider the information given by Sheriff Regalado to be inaccurate. As a community of immigrant advocates, with direct ties to families detained and deported from David Elmas Criminal Justice Center, along with evidence from the Syracuse University track database, we seek to offer clarification. Our goal is to keep the immigrant community well informed as to how national policy affects local law enforcement approaches to policing persons without papers. ICE's current mandate under the Trump administration is essentially to remove all non-citizens who do not have authority to stay in the United States. Tulsa County has agreed to have ICE on site at David L. Moss, meaning that ICE has access to every single person who is booked at the jail. This also means they can place a hold on all undocumented persons. Additionally, people are being sent to jail for traffic violations, regardless of the arresting agency, giving ICE access to undocumented people with no criminal history. Once a person is placed on an ICE hold, the sheriff has no control over whether ICE makes a decision to put a person into removal proceedings or release them. The inevitable consequence of all of this is that members of our community are in fact being deported. 
despite having no criminal conviction or having only minor traffic violations, not including DUIs. Our concern is that sending erroneous information is not only detrimental to democracy and public safety, it also gives the immigrant community a false sense of security. We will be conducting a press conference at the Equality Center on April 27th at 3 p.m. to share evidence, including testimonials and data, to substantiate our claims. So, shout out to them, and watch the fuck out, okay? Cops are here to fuck you, and if you get taken to David Omos or something, or you're, you know, try and avoid that. And shout out to New Sanctuary Network Tulsa. Um, two more things. Uh, the Solidarity Through Food Kitchen needs to start finding people who can volunteer down at the community food bank to help make grocery boxes for SNAP students. They can be reached at the Facebook at their Facebook page, which we'll link to in the Reddit post, or they can be emailed at stufkitchen at gmail.com. And I'll also include that in the Reddit post this week. And finally, uh, Black Lives Matter Oklahoma City will be asking for anybody available to volunteer to help with the food bank during the teacher walkout. They'll be sharing the link where people can volunteer with the OKC Parks and Recreation to staff the rec centers that will be open so parents have options for childcare during the teacher walkout. So go check their Facebook page. And I also want to give them a special shout out. They're the first organization in the history of the show that sent me a message about stuff they were doing before I asked them for like what's going on this week and what they're hosting. So shout out to you, Black Lives Matter Oklahoma City. Great job being on top of the ball. You all rock. And that's it for socialist events this week. All right. Well, awesome, awesome. Well, as always, you can find us at Twitter at Red Star Over OK. The subreddit is our Red Star Over Oklahoma, and that's where a lot of our uh, links and sources get thrown up at. You can listen on SoundCloud or iTunes. If you've got a question, comment, complaint, concern, you want to tell Carl to stop talking about poop all the time, uh, you can send us an email over at redstaroverok at gmail.com. Tell your friends, guys. Let us know, because the more engaged we are with y'all and our audience, the better we can serve Oklahoma and tell y'all about what's going on. Also, please rate and review on iTunes. That helps us out a lot, uh, and it moves us up the charts so we can, again, be more engaged with y'all and be more engaged with people. Hey, I want to wish you all a good week, and hey, all the teachers out there, hey, this is the week. It's finally time. You're not walking out to celebrate legislators. You're walking out to secure... Uh, education for the future of this state, which is absolutely vital. So, big, big, big snaps to y'all, and uh, good luck. Chili. Anyway.